Uh, I am thankful that you all have chosen to be here this morning uh, with us. And regrettably, I am here right now, not here as in in this place, but here as in at this pulpit, because this was the week that Robert Young was going to preach. Um, And I got a call yesterday morning that he had a fever and he wouldn't be able to preach. So here I am. Um, but I'm going to try my best to preach Robert's sermon. Um, that's why the, if you see on the bulletin, the, the title, the creative title um, is, is Good News Spaced Far Apart. Um, his goal was for you to try and guess the title, which would be Spread the Good News. Um, and so we, Robert wanted to, and, and we as elders, we, we talked about how could we end the year. Uh, and so we thought it would be good for us to to in the year, kind of looking at this story that's part of the Christmas story, uh, but, but specifically focusing on the, the visit of the angel and then the host of angels to the shepherds in the field. So it's a familiar story, uh, but we wanna look at this um, and then sh- specifically focus on, on how um, this story and, and the role of the shepherds and, and the part that they play, how that can, can encourage us in our role as those who are called to, to tell the good news or to share or spread the good news. So, so the hope this morning is that we might be encouraged, not, not just as we consider the, the good news personally, because if you're a Christian here, there's good news for you this morning. Uh, despite what, how you feel or, or what you think, there's good news, uh, but, but also to be encouraged in our call to share that with others. As, as Will prayed earlier, we all recognize a need to grow in our boldness and willingness to share the good news. We have been given a treasure um, to share, and we too often uh, don't share the good news. And so I, I want the shepherds to encourage us this morning um, as we look at this, uh, because we have been given good news of great joy that is for all people. Uh, and so we're gonna be reading in Luke chapter two, and the passage, it's, it's gonna be verses eight through 14, um, no, 8 through 20, I'm sorry, 8 through 20. And, and we'll read that in just a second, but, but just to set the stage, we're, we're gonna see a birth announcement. Uh, and in this passage, a child is born and, and a birth is gonna be announced, but this is, this is a different type of birth. It's a birth that took place over 2,000 years ago. It's the birth that the, the Christmas story is centered upon, uh, but it's a birth that the timeline of world history is always moving towards. It was a birth that, that literally changed the world because it's the birth not just of any child, but of God's own son. And with this birth, with this child born in Bethlehem, the plan of God's salvation would move rapidly towards accomplishment, which is why this birth and this birth announcement in these verses are worth our attention, and more than that, worthy of our celebration and proclamation to all people. So that's our hope um, as we we read these verses together. So Luke chapter two, beginning in verse eight, and I'll I'll read through verse 20. Here's what Luke writes. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let me pray for us as, as we continue. Father, we thank you this morning that your love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who you have given to us. And so I pray that as we study these verses, that that same spirit would open our eyes to the, to the wondrous things written in your word, uh, the things specifically in, in this passage concerning the good news of great joy and, and the good news, the message of peace that is now available between you and us. And so I pray that you might encourage us, your people this morning with this passage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, there, there's three sections and we're, we're gonna work through these quickly. Um, and we're gonna move quickly through them. And then the last point, we'll have all the application. Um, so, so we'll just, we'll move through these. So we're gonna see the, the nature of the announcement. That's the first two verses. Then the content of the announcement. What do they actually say to these shepherds? And then finally, the, the response to this announcement, the verses 15 through 20, as the shepherds kind of decide, hey, let's, let's go back. Um, so, so we'll see the response. But first, the nature of the announcement. So as we look at this, this birth announcement, it's help, helpful to remember who this child is because the, the identity of this child, once we recognize who this is, then we can recognize how, how almost inappropriate this announcement appears to be. Although this child is the promised son of David, the, the Messiah who was born, we read, to save his people from their sins, though this is the incarnation of the very son of God, the nature of this announcement and, and those to whom this announcement first comes is not what we would expect. We see again, as we've seen throughout, even in, gospel, in Matthew's gospel, that God operates according to his own plan. He doesn't operate according to our expectations. In fact, he often turns expectations on their head. And so there's a contrast here between the birth of a king's son. So when a king has a child, there's, there's generally this, this public reveling, this rejoicing. I mean, think if you're, if you're one of those uh, fanatics about the, the royal family, think about William and Kate when they had a child, it was, it was a big deal. Or, or if Harry and Meghan, I don't know if they have kids yet, maybe, but whatever, when, when the king or someone in royalty has a child, it's a big deal. But that's not here. Here we have the announcement of the birth of the Prince of Peace, God's own son, which is made privately at midnight without anything of worldly pomp and ostentation. So, so there's a contrast here. It's not what we would expect. There's nothing about this announcement, the nature of it, that screams, the Messiah's here. The King has come. The Lord has been born. But that's what's going on. And so Luke, in, in his recounting of this, in fact, the first two chapters of Luke, there's this contrast between, between John the Baptist and Jesus, the, the son of God. And there's, there's this going back and forth. John's birth is foretold. Then Jesus's birth is foretold. Then Zachariah, who is John's dad, sings a song. But then Mary sings a song. And then John's birth comes. And then Jesus's birth comes. And this back and forth makes the point that Jesus is greater. He is the unique one. He's the promised one. John is gonna be great before the Lord, but Jesus will be great, period. 
And John will prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus will be the Lord. And so there's this contrast throughout Luke's gospel to make you understand as you're reading the introduction to his gospel, this is the son, God's sent one to come and save his people. And so we know who this is if you've been with Luke, but it's still surprising that this king, this promised one, is not announced in a more spectacular way. I mean, he was the one who's born to the Virgin Mary, a nameless teenage girl without, without wealth, without a husband even. And he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's laid in a manger. There's no room for them in the inn. And so we see this, this unlikely nature of this announcement. And, and to, to further continue that theme, he announces the first, that the recipients, the male first goes to a group of shepherds in the field. And so these shepherds, they're unlikely heralds, they're unlikely recipients, they're, they're peasants, they're, they're low on the scale of, of power and privilege, they're not highly regarded in society. Now it's not necessary to say that they were outcasts, not like the tax collectors, they're not despised, but they wouldn't have been considered prime candidates for this type of announcement. Not a clear choice to be the first to hearers of this world-changing, history-shaking birth. I mean, they're not, they're not high priests, they're not rulers of the land, they're not even in Jerusalem. They're not scribes, Pharisees, but they're shepherds who are out in a field keeping watch over their stinky sheep at night. And that's who the Lord says, I'm gonna choose, they're gonna be the ones that I tell the good news about. And so verse eight, they're keeping their watch at night and it's, it's dark, there's darkness, there's, there's no street lights, there's no lamps, there, there's just stars in, in the vast expanse in the open fields and, and everything is quiet except maybe, maybe some sheep. There, there's not TVs in the other room, there's not neighbors having a New Year's Eve party, there, there's only bleeding and maybe some chewing, maybe some sheep are having a midnight snack, but it's silent, dark and silent and they're, they're keeping watch at night as they've done Night and night and night before. There's nothing abnormal about this night. No sign that this would be any different. And then verse nine, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The bright light overwhelms the darkness. It's like when you're in a dark room and you see the sunshine and you have to cover your eyes because it's so bright because you're so used to the darkness. An angel appears and there's light and lots of it. A blinding light and Luke says that the glory of the Lord is shown around them. That, that's the nature of this brightness. It's the glory of the Lord. So, so this angel, singular, has been sent, and it's not an accidental angelic visitation. He doesn't get lost and, and end up in a field in the middle of nowhere. No, he was sent there on a divine errand. The, the Lord himself has sent this messenger. And in fact, this phrase, the glory of the Lord, appeared to them. That this, this phrase means that God's visible presence was, was there in creation, his visible presence. That's what it means when it says the glory of the Lord. And so the, the Lord's presence is, is here with this visit of the angels. In fact, so some other examples of where this phrase, the glory of the Lord, was there. I mean, in Exodus chapter 16, the manna comes down from heaven. It says the glory of the Lord appeared. It was a revelatory appearance so that, that, that the Israelites in that, sense, in that situation might know that he is God. Or later on Mount Sinai, when, when Moses is visiting with the Lord, the glory of the Lord dwelt on the mountain. It was like a devouring fire. It was revelatory so that the, the people at the bottom might know Moses is meeting with the Lord. The Lord's presence is there. Or the end of the book of Exodus, when the, the tabernacle is completed, the glory of the Lord filled the temple, confirming this is where I'm going to uniquely dwell with my people. 
And so when, when Luke says that the glory of the Lord appeared with this angel, it is a revelatory appearance of the glory of God himself. And it's not on Sinai, it's not in the temple, it's not even in Jerusalem, but outside of a seemingly insignificant city, the city of David in a field under stars to lowly shepherds. It is here that the glory of the Lord appears to these shepherds. Into the darkness there came a great light and God's presence in glory around the angel gave way to a message of God's presence in a baby in the town of David. And so these, these shepherds see this angel and their response is great fear. They're filled with great fear, which is a natural response, a fitting response. In fact, Zechariah and Mary, when they were visited by the angel and told of the birth of their children, they also responded with great fear. In fact, when angels appear to humans, humans respond with great fear. And the first thing the angel says to the shepherds are, don't fear. Don't be afraid. It's nothing to be afraid of. And then he, he leads into the content of the announcement. So don't be afraid because of what I'm about to tell you. Verse 10. Look at the content of the announcement. Fear not, says the angel, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so this birth, the, the reason for this angelic visitation and announcement is a birth that is about to, that has taken place. It's a, a birth that has brought about the dawning of good news of great joy that will be for all people. So don't be afraid, shepherds. The, the angel comes with a gospel. That, that's the word, the, the, the verb form of good news. It's a gospel that they bring, the, the gospel of this child who's born. And although we know this child born in Bethlehem was no ordinary child, his birth was reason for great joy, for great hope, and would generate great wonder because this child was the promised Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And so these, these shepherds, they don't know everything that, that this birth entails, but they know that God is sending a message to them that the child has been born, Christ the Lord. And with this announcement, if, if you remember the, the, the chasm between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, with this visitation, the silence or the spiritual darkness which had covered the earth for 4,000 years was about to be rolled away. The, the way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind and it was all centered around the birth of this son. The angel continues, verse 11, unto you this day, it was an actual day in time, this day, in the city of David, in an actual place, a day, in a city, a savior, a child was born. The savior, the angel says, who is Christ the Lord. The angel, the, the angel doesn't mention the name of Jesus, but instead uses three other titles that clearly communicates who this child is. This is the savior, who is Christ, which is a, another word for Messiah, savior, Messiah, and Lord. There's no way to understand who this child is apart from the divine one sent. These shepherds are hearing this news for the first time that their savior, their Messiah had been born. Salvation had come to Bethlehem and had come to the city of David because the, the child born was the true son of David who would eventually inhabit the throne of David forever. That the son had come this child was the fulfillment of, of all the promises that are made in the Old Testament to Abraham and to, to David and to Israel itself. This was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer. This, this one, though Mary's son, was also Mary's Lord. And the angel tells these shepherds that the Savior has been born in the city of David today. 
In fact, these three titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord, or Savior, Messiah, Lord, they're, they're not used together anywhere else in the entire Bible, but this verse. Now, this is the child whose parents would, would name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. This one, this Savior, was born as the Lord who would save his people. And so they, they, the, the angel gives the shepherds this message, but then he, the, the shepherds are given a sign not a fulfillment of prophecy, but a confirmation. Go and see what I'm telling you is true. And here's how you're going to know what I'm telling you is true. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So, so go and, and you'll see this, this scene unfolding in the city of David. And then you'll know that what I've told you has come to pass. Not a palace, not the temple, not even the, the best Western or the Hampton Inn, but, but go to a manger and you'll find the baby in an animal's resting place. And that's when the shepherds would know that what they've been told by the Lord had come to pass. And so then verse 13, so, so that's what the, the angel says. And then verse 13, suddenly, so just as the first angel had appeared unannounced in verse 13, suddenly there's with the angel a multitude of angels. So there's a heavenly host. This is a lot. This is a massive army of angels. And so one angel gives this message, and before they go, there appears with him a host, thousands of thousands of angels. But this army is not an army that, that's come to wage war. It's, it's an army that's come to proclaim peace. It's not an army that says, there's danger, we're invading, no, but, but peace has come. Peace on earth. This, this heavenly host reveals to the shepherds that peace has come and they proclaim the only proper thing in response to the good news, glory to God in the highest. These angels join in the refrain to praising God and, and proclaiming peace on earth. Glory to God and peace on earth. The angels know what has happened. The angels know the significance of the birth. They know the message with which they've been sent and they glorify God because of the news they bring. They sing glory to God in the highest. The angels know that the glory of God has been put on display in the coming of a son, a baby born in Bethlehem. And this event is so significant, it cannot be over rejoiced in. That these angels cannot over celebrate what has happened. The word has become flesh, which is caused to glorify God in the highest. The highest degree of glory has come by the appearing of the Son in the world. And praise and worship are the only fitting responses to this miraculous intervention. And the angel's song and, and the celebration of this birth not, not only results in their glorifying God, but, but it results in a message of peace on earth. Right? There's a proclamation of peace upon whom his favor rests. Upon his people, there's, there's peace that's gonna come. The prince of peace that was prophesied by Isaiah has come and the result of his coming in his kingdom is going to be peace. One, one pastor explains it this way. First and foremost, God is glorified because of this child. But second, peace is spread everywhere this child is received. These are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. God's glory sung out among men for the sake of his name and God's peace lived out among men for the sake of his name. Glory and peace which then leads this song of the angels and, and the content of the announcement leads finally to the shepherd's response there in verses 15 through 20. So after this angelic announcement, the heavenly host of angels, they depart. And Luke says that the shepherds, I mean, I guess they catch their breath and they, they realize, okay, that, that, that really happened. 
They say to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem. Let's go to the city of David and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So verse 16, they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. In other words, everything that that they had been told was true. They saw just as they were told. The heavenly message was confirmed. And when they saw it, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So, So they recounted what had happened in the field. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd had told them, that God would visit them and tell them about this child and send them to see what had happened. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Then verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so the shepherds, they they hear the good news and then they go and they see the birth that had been announced. It's, it's confirmed. They see just that they had been told. And once it's confirmed, they, they start telling everyone what had happened to them. And then they go back to their life as shepherds. Remembering as they go back that unto them in the city of David, a savior, Christ the Lord, had been born, which was good news of great joy for all people. So they, they, they go back having, having been visited by the angel and seeing the Lord, they go back and, and we can assume they were transformed because of what had happened to them that night. Which leads us to consider, walking away from this passage, what, what can these shepherds teach us? Or what do these shepherds teach us? And so I just wanna, and this is gonna be, be bullet form, just I, I, I tried to come up with 24 things to learn um, just because you know it's the new year, but I couldn't. So I have nine things, nine things we learned from the shepherds. Um, and so I'm just, I just wanna go through, here's things we can learn and, and you can add to this list. Um, but, but here's just, just off, off, just bullet point things we can learn from these shepherds and this, this account here in Luke's gospel. One, let us learn from their place in salvation history. So, so as these shepherds receive this birth announcement, they are aware that something big is happening. Right? These angels, this host doesn't appear unless something big is happening. And so they, they probably have some level of expectation concerning the promised Messiah, but they don't know all that this, this child's life is going to entail. They're not fully aware of, of all that this child is going to accomplish. They, they certainly aren't aware of, of his ministry and, and his coming death and resurrection. So, so they don't have the, the full story and yet they rejoice and proclaim the message that they had received. And so what I mean, what we can learn from them is, is that for us who know what this child accomplished, for, for those of us who know, in the words of, of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, we have even more reason to rejoice and proclaim the good news of great joy for all people. We know what this child did. We know what his life entailed and we know how his life ended. It begins in a manger and it ends on a cross between two criminals. And we know that that he was raised three days later, later. And so as we read this account, we can rejoice in the good news of great joy for all people knowing how this story ends. We, we read the story and know that these shepherds had received the news about Jesus, the eternal omnipotent son of God who took the form of a servant and was born in likeness of men. And we know that this night in Bethlehem, the, the fullness of time had come and God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. That's what's happening here. And we know that because we have the, the full revelation. And we know that the result of that redemption that is accomplished by this child is peace with God that comes through the salvation that's been purchased by the son of God. So we know the story and we know the fullness of this good news. So if these shepherds, though possessing an incomplete picture of the Messiah, rejoiced and proclaimed 
the good news. Ought we who have the fuller picture do the same or more? That's what we can learn. Learn from, from their time. We, we have fuller revelation. Second, we learn from their state in life. The role of the shepherds in God's plan teaches us that God doesn't use the most qualified. God doesn't use those that, that the others might seem to think are most qualified. These shepherds are not likely candidates and yet God chose them. And in choosing them, he didn't choose a lot of others that, that he could have chosen. God could have made this birth announcement to anyone he wanted, but he chose lowly and humble shepherds. And this is the way that God works. Not just in these supernatural situations, but in his normal everyday workings and his, his plan being carried out in the world, God's people are marked by humility and a lowly estate, insignificant in the world's eyes. I mean, Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 1 when, when, when he's trying to knock down the pride of the Corinthians. And he says, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak. God chose what is low and despised to bring to nothing the things that are so that no purpose, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God, this is how God normally works. God doesn't use you because of what you bring to the table. God's purpose for your life, your, your usefulness to him doesn't depend on your resume, your GPA, your background, your IQ. It depends on him. And if you're a Christian, similarly to these shepherds, you have a purpose. If you're a Christian, it means you've received and believed the good news of great joy. If you're a Christian, God has called you and you have a message to share. You do, whether, whether you see your life as insignificant a mundane, repetitious life that you live, it is not insignificant because God has placed you there for his purposes. And so that's your call. Learn from the shepherds that you might boast in the Lord and not yourself. That's how God works. Third, let us learn from the shepherds. Let us learn from the message given to them. The message of Christ's coming is good news of great joy. Right, so the coming of Christ into the world, his birth and, and the gospel that follows helps us think rightly about life in this world. I mean, there are things in our lives that matter and there are things in our lives that matter the most. And the good news of the gospel is what matters the most. It is good news of great joy. It's more than presents and lights and, and family time. The good news of great joy is a sure and lasting joy that salvation has come. God has looked upon our helpless estate and has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. God has sent his son into the world to save the world. These shepherds were changed by that message. Their joy would have been clear to all. And we too have received the message of great joy, which means that, that joy is a mark of the Christian who's received the good news of great joy. You can't receive the good news of great joy and always lack joy. A joyless Christian is an oxymoron. To be a Christian is marked by a deep and abiding joy, not a fleeting joy. I understand that there's ups and downs. But the Christian is marked by a deep and abiding joy because God has sent his son to save you forever. And nothing that you experience can, can undo what God has done for you in Christ. And so it's a, it's a message of great joy. And so, so there's joy for you this morning. If you're a believer, there's, there's good news of great joy. It's also good news of peace on earth. The, the gospel message is a message of peace. The birth of a son, his coming to the war, into the world, his death and resurrection establishes peace. 
Peace is possible because of Christ. True, lasting peace, sustainable peace. Peace primarily between God and man is possible because of the birth of the son. God has intervened and the result is possible peace. Paul would say we, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's what the son accomplishes. That's what the gospel promises, peace with God. But then, then that peace is worked out between men also. As believers, we have peace with one another. That is an outworking of our peace with God. And so Christians are people of deep abiding joy, but also people of peace. Because our greatest need has been met, the gospel has granted us peace with God and we can live at peace with God and others. Fourth, we learn from the confidence that they had in the source of their message. It was interesting, I thought in verse 15, when the angels went away from from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds say to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I thought that, that phrase was interesting. It's significant because the shepherds were visited by an angel, then a host of angels, but they are sure that this visitation is the Lord's doing. They don't say, let's go see if what the angels have, have said, see if they're right. Let's go see what the Lord has shown, what the Lord has made known to us. They, they trust the Lord has given us this message. We're gonna go see what he's done. They're convinced it's a message from God that deserved their attention. So they went to Bethlehem to check it out. They're, they're confident. I don't think they go to Bethlehem thinking, well, we're, we're not gonna find it. I think they go knowing we're going to see the Messiah, the, the Savior born, because God had visited them and had spoken to them. Which leads to the fifth thing, which is let us learn from their eagerness to seek out the truthfulness of the good news and confirm the truthfulness. That the message of Christ's coming, because it was from God, deserved their attention. God had spoken to them. Can you imagine if they would have said, thanks for that visit, angel, but we're, we got sheep to watch. We, we'll, we'll go see the, the, the Messiah tomorrow. No, God had spoken and they said, we, we're gonna go. We're gonna go see what God has done. They were concerned to see the savior who was born. They, they wanted to know what was God doing in the town of David. And lesson to learn for us, it's not that we have angelic visitors, but that we've been given God's full and complete word. We have received far greater than a message from the angels. We have, have received the deposit of divine truth that's been handed down once for all to all generations in the scriptures. God's word has been given to us and deserves our greatest attention. And for a very specific point of application, we in 2024, myself included, ought to take time to give our full attention to God's word in the coming year. The, the turn of the year is a great time to take up and read, to commit to, to reading God's word. And so just, just very practically, so we have, I, I mean, I printed them out this morning. This is a five-day reading plan. There's nothing special about this plan, but this is a five-day reading plan, not seven days, and it's not four chapters a, a, a day. It's a couple chapters a day, and it's five days. You can miss a couple. You can catch them on weekends. But we, I made 40 copies out there. Take it and read it. I, last year, I tried to do a Bible reading plan on my own. It was terrible. I couldn't do it. The year before that, I tried a different plan. I couldn't do it. This, this one works for me. So take it and read it. I'm committing to it and hold me accountable. But, but we want to read God's word. It's not about the plan. It's about being consistent, consistently in God's word because God's word has been given to us. And, and I promise you, at the end of 2024, you'll come to the end and say, I could have done better. We always will. So, so perfection isn't the, isn't the aim. 
that the goal is faithfulness and, and to meet the Lord in his word. So we can learn from the shepherds that we might give, be people who give attention to what God has said to us in his word. God has spoken to us, which is more valuable than even an angelic visitation. Six, let us learn from their lack of hesitancy to tell others the good news about the coming of Christ. This is probably the most easily applicable part. These shepherds, they didn't hesitate to, to tell others about what had happened to them. And this is the reason that, that Robert titled the sermon, Spread the Good News. Right, last week, we, we, the close of Matthew's gospel was the, the Great Commission. Well, this is right in line with that. We're gonna sing a song about telling the good news. Right, this is the call of the Christian. It's the call of the church to witness in the world. We've been placed here as a light in the world. We don't want to put it under a bushel, but on a stand that gives light to all in the house. I'm tempted to sing a song right now, but I won't. We have a light and and we're called to let it shine. We have a message to tell and it's good news of great joy for all people. Christ has come, he's died, he's risen, and he's coming again. It's the gospel that we're called to proclaim. Let us learn from the shepherds and be eager to proclaim. Verse number seven, let us learn from the response of those that the shepherds told the good news to. Verse 18 says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Well, this isn't the response of all that hear the good news today, and that it isn't all that hear the gospel aren't, aren't filled with wonder, but the message to, to those who hear it and believe it, it is a message that is wonderful. It's a message that is, is too good to be true, that God sent his son into the world to, to save me from my sins, that, that all I have to do is believe in him. I don't, have to, I don't have to clean up my life. I don't have to do enough good works. I just believe in the son and I'll, I'll not perish but have everlasting life. Is that true? Right? This is the good news of the gospel. And we ought to, myself included, share the message confidently and pray that those who hear are filled with wonder because it is a message of great wonder that God would do this. And I think this is increasingly true or especially true in our culture as it moves further and further away from a collective Christian mindset or identity. I mean, this is unheard of 50 years ago, even 10 years ago, but, but there, there are people out driving on Fox Hill Road right now that, that don't know the story of the Bible, that, that don't know the gospel. I mean, 50 years ago, that had been unheard of. You had to go to China for people to not hear the gospel or to unreached people groups. But, but we are moving collectively away from a, 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 a common understanding or cultural understanding of Christianity. And so there's people that, that have never heard what Jesus has done. And so we have a great opportunity to share the, the good news and see people filled with wonder that the God of the universe would, would send his son to save them. So let us learn from the shepherds. Eight, let us learn from the final response of the shepherds. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard that had been told them. So on the way home, these shepherds, they're marked out by their, their Godward action. They're, they're glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And this night, I, I assume they, they I, I think we can safely assume this night and what they had seen and heard that it changed their lives forever. This good news of great joy that came to them what was never intended to stay with them, but they received it, they went and examined it, then they started telling everyone about it and their lives were changed because of it. I'm sure that they kept tabs on, on the child born in Bethlehem to find out what he was doing. What was the Messiah gonna do? Maybe, maybe they died and, and didn't get to see him grow up, but they were changed that night because of what God had done. Which leads to the final lesson to learn from the shepherds, which is let us learn from what happened to these shepherds after this great event. Which begs the question, what did happen to these shepherds after this great event? The answer, we don't know. 
We don't know what happened to these shepherds. And I think this is strangely encouraging for us. Because these shepherds, they, they weren't useful. They, they didn't make a, a, a famous or, or glory. They didn't live famous lives. We, have no, we don't know what happened to them. We don't even know their names. And I think that can encourage us because our aim is not fame and glory. We don't live to be remembered in, in the, the halls of history. That's not what we're created for. In fact, most of us will probably be forgotten by our grandkids' grandkids. I mean, do you know anything about your grandparents' grandparents? You probably don't even know their names, much less anything about them, hobby. So, so we're gonna be forgotten. That's just time keeps moving. People live, people die. But that doesn't change the reality that these shepherds served their God-given purpose. They, they received the news and they, they told others about it. They didn't make a name for themselves. They made a name for the one who had saved them, who had, who had sent his son into the world. And so our goal is not to live for ourselves, make a name for ourselves, be remembered, but instead to live as faithful Christians in the time and place that God's called us. And so for us, specifically here in Hampton, as long as you're here, if you're military, if you're going back home at some point, for here and now, you've been called to tell the good news of great joy in Hampton, Virginia for as long as he tarries, for as long as he keeps you here. We don't worry about what people think about us, our reputations, we want him to be glorified. We want people to praise and glorify because of what they have seen and heard. And so my prayer is that, that I would be, that we would be people who do so, who tell the good news of great joy for all people with increasing regularity in the year to come. Let's pray as we close.